I tell you what, it is a joy to be here. First Sunday after our revival services, and uh, I don't know, I'm kind of like you, Brother Allen, man. I'm just a little bit stoked, amen? Uh, I thought the fire was hot, but man, it's getting hot now, uh, sure enough. But you know, today I want to talk a little bit about when the fire was even hotter, because at no other time in church history, in the history of the church of Jesus Christ, uh, had the church experienced phenomenal growth, marvelous miracles, pulsating power, and unstoppable boldness than in the very first few weeks that the church was created. So it only makes good sense to me that if we study and we apply what, what the first church did, if we study and apply how the first church grew, then we here at Bethel Baptist Church, we might keep on going, keep on growing, keep on glowing for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I pray that's your desire as it is mine. Now, in the book of Acts, uh, the, the Word tells us how rapidly the church was growing. I mean, they were literally adding believers to the church just all the time. Uh, in fact, on the day of Pentecost, we're told that of those who gladly believed, about 3,000 were added. Say added. added. About 3,000 were added. Then, in verse 47, the Word says that the Lord added. Say added. The Lord added believers to the church daily, those who were being saved. Even persecution couldn't stop the church. In chapter 4, verse 4, we're told that 5,000 men were added. Say added. 5,000 men were added. Now, if 5,000 men were added, they were, most of them were married. And most of them had at least 2.5 kids. Amen. So that means the congregation was over 20,000 people that had been added. Then in chapter 5, verse 14, we're told that believers were increasingly added. Say added. They were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. But then finally today, we're told in chapter 6 that the Word of God spread... And the number of disciples multiplied. Say multiplied. It was no longer being added. The church was multiplying greatly. Now have you ever heard that verse before? Does that sound familiar to you? That the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Have you ever heard that before? Give me a nod if you've heard it before. Where have you seen it before? Well, there's one that knows it. There's two that knows it. Where else have you seen it? All right, y'all ask for it. Everybody stand up. Stand up. Turn around. And look at that banner on the back wall. Here we grow. We put that up two years ago. Here we grow. Then the word of God spread, and the number of multiplied disciples did what? They multiplied. Sit down. Amen. All right. I didn't, we didn't put that up for looks. Amen. We put that up to change our lives. And we pray that it's going to because the Word of God is indeed spreading. And as you can see, the number of disciples is being multiplied greatly. 
And we're excited about that. So here we are. Think about this. The most exciting moment in church history. God's power is being felt in God's people. The church was not just adding believers. It was doing what? It was multiplying believers. But it's here that we find a little bit of bickering going on amongst the believers. Imagine that. You get 20,000 people together, is there going to be some bickering? Sorry, but you're right. You see, Satan couldn't stop the church through persecution. Satan couldn't stop the church by somehow corrupting the church. And so he turns to distraction. Trying to distract the members of the church. Trying to get them to start a fight amongst themselves. It seems that some folks felt like they were being neglected. Being neglected of God's blessings through the church. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 6. And let's read these few verses here and and see how it all panned out. In Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, the Word says, Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full, say full, full, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we might appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Let us pray. Father, we are to the point in our spiritual walk with you, in our church life with you, Lord, where we feel like that if it's your will, we are ready for you to multiply the number of disciples in our community greatly. Father, we are ready because we love them. We want to serve them. We want to minister to them. Lord, we love the opportunity to teach them from your word. And Lord, we just pray that if it is your will and you deem us ready, Father, that you would bring the masses. And Lord, we're not going to just wait for them to come knocking the doors down. Lord, we are going to go and get them. Lord, praise you and thank you. And I'm looking forward to what you're going to teach us in this message. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Now, In this passage of Scripture this morning, we're going to see four ways that I think Bethel Baptist Church can experience the same multiplication. The same multiplication like the first church did, and to do it by handling our growing pains. By wisely handling our growing pains, just like this first church did. The first way is this. Handling growing pains demands discernment. 
It demands discernment. Let's look at verse 1 again. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, how many of you know that most of the time, most of the time, problems are really a matter of perspective? How many of you know that? That problems most of the time are really a matter of perspective. And the question is this. Do you view your so-called problem as an obstacle or an opportunity? Is it an obstacle or is it really an opportunity? You need to know that in Jewish society, the widows and the orphans, they were the ones in society that needed the most charitable help. I mean, they didn't have anything. They were totally dependent upon others for their well-being. And the problem that we see here in verse 1 arose and came about for several reasons. Now, the first reason is, is because you have to know that the bickering occurred because Satan was in the background, okay? He was stirring the pot. Satan was in the background at work behind the scenes trying to create a little division because the church was multiplying. And I don't think he liked that much, amen? But there's another reason the same, this bickering occurred because there's just different people in the church. There was two groups mentioned there. There were Jews born in Palestine, which are referred to as the Hebrews, but there were also Greek-speaking Jews, which are those Hellenists that are mentioned there in verse 1. But the bottom line is this. Although they were different, they became one. In Jesus Christ. Though we have different people in our midst with different ways of thinking and different personalities and different ways of doing things, it matters not because we are one in Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that. But the bickering also happened because if you, you know that it's so easy, especially when the church is multiplying, it's so easy for important things to kind of slip through the cracks. When the church is multiplying, growing, uh, experiencing growing pains, it's very easy to, to experience problems falling through the cracks in a growing church, even when they're as loving as we are, even when they're as spirit-filled as we are. Still, sometimes important things fall through the cracks. It appeared to me that the success of this church was really the source of the problem. Because the church was multiplying and growing, all of a sudden now it had so-called problems. All of a sudden now it had so-called maybe opportunities. Amen? Amen? Okay. We'll make sure you're all with me. The church was experiencing growing pains. And you know what? We are beginning to experience growing pains too, and we will continue to experience growing pains. But they were experiencing growing pains that made it difficult for the leaders to minister to all the people that needed ministering to. And so more people needed to step up. 
more people needed to get involved in ministry. And if you'll remember, Brother Sammy mentioned that. That everybody needs to be involved in some area where you're ministering not to you, but to somebody else, okay? So um, as a church grows, I think that we need to be constantly evaluating, constantly making changes so that we can become better ministers in our community because we want to make a difference. We want to make an impact. And so we're going to have to be changing and, and kind of evaluating things constantly. Uh, and the way that this church was handling the distribution to the widows, friends, frankly, it needed to change because there were some people that were being neglected. There are some people in our community that I can tell you they're being neglected by Bethel Baptist Church. And so that means we're going to have to change. Maybe it's this, this young children's group on Sunday nights that's being neglected. Maybe they need some, some real life-applying spiritual leadership and teaching them the Word of God. Not just getting them to memorize the words but getting them to understand how the Word of God impacts their young lives. I believe children need that. Do you? Amen. So maybe that's one of the ways that we need to change. One of the ways that we need to evaluate. So we need to, we're going to do that. But one way that I want to tell you that ain't the way is this. Complaining is not the way to change things. And I'm not saying that we do that because um, for the large part we don't. Uh, but in fact, I read a story about a chronic complainer. Is this one guy who finally took his family to church. And as they were driving home, this guy commenced to complaining about everything. Constantly complaining about everything. He complained that the music was too loud. He complained that the sermon was too long. All right, y'all watch it now. He complained that the announcements were unclear. The building was too hot. The people were unfriendly. He went on and on and on, virtually complaining about everything. Finally, his very observant son said, Dad, you got to admit, it wasn't a bad show for just a dollar. <laughs> hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. He got what he paid for, right? Anyway. Friends, you need to know that when we sense that a change needs to be made, and believe me, Changes constantly need to be made. But when we sense the changes need to be made, we must not only point out what's wrong, but we must also point out a possible alternative. Okay? So that's, a, that's good, healthy change. I think that so many churches are literally destroyed by the spirit of complaining all the time. And I'm thankful that we're not one of those. Because so many other churches, they may see God working in marvelous ways. They may uh, see souls being saved for the glory of God. They may be seeing their ministries growing. And then somebody gets it in their head that they're not appreciated. Whoops. Suddenly folks begin to wonder, well, why is God's work not progressing? They begin to wonder, why is there so little evidence of God's power? They begin wondering, why aren't more people being saved? And it's all because a root of bitterness has sprung up. Even a root can cause great damage. So we need to understand how to go about bringing about this change, not only pointing out what's wrong, but also offering up some viable alternatives. And that's important. So... Growing pains demand discernment. Are they obstacles or are they really 
opportunities. Okay? But handling growing pains also requires determination. Look in verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. How would the disciples deal with this problem? Now, there are several ways that they could have dealt with this problem. They could have ignored the problem. I read about one group of college kids who decided to keep or decided to kidnap uh, their school mascot who happened to be a live goat and they were going to hide it in their dorm room. Yeah. And uh, so they had this great plan to bring this live goat into their dorm room until somebody said, what about the smell? And one guy said, well, the goat's just going to have to get used to it. Right, Alan? <laughs> Amen. I hear you, baby. How many of you know that ignoring a dead skunk don't get rid of the smell? Amen. I want you to get that smell in your head right now. Just because you ignore it and pretend like it don't exist don't mean that thing still don't stink. We got to address problems. When problems come up, they need to be brought to my attention, to deacon's attention, to teacher's attention, to leadership attention, so that we can at least try viable solutions that will make us more effective in our ministry. So important. So they could have ignored the problem, but they also could have resented the problem. They could have taken it personally that, that somebody was coming to them with a problem. They could have responded with a bad attitude that there was a problem. There was once a, a famous painter whose name was Whistler. And Whistler had just finished this beautiful portrait of this man. And the man got up and he looked at the picture and he said, Surely you don't call that a great work of art. And Whistler responded by saying, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I didn't have much to work with. <laughs> Amen? Responding with a bad attitude does not solve problems. Instead, it just creates brand new ones. So we need to respond correctly. Uh, not only could they have responded by ignoring it or resenting the problem, but they could have overreacted to the problem. Sometimes I think that we're tempted to overreact when people criticize us. Can I tell you I'm one of them? <laughs> I'm going to keep it in, but you know, I think sometimes it kind of tears me up. you know. But I'm tempted to overreact when people criticize. Even before I check out, well, maybe it's a good point. Maybe they're just being honest with me, you know, and they just want me to know. So uh, it's important that we not overreact. I read about this one farmer who was plowing out his corn and it was a hot day. I mean, it was just, it was blistering. And then all of a sudden he heard the scratching sound. Like, what in the world? He looked over and there was a mouse gnawing on one of his ears of corn. And he got a little tore up. He thought of all the hours that he had sweated all the hard hours he'd put forth planting the corn and cultivating the corn. And, and now here this mouse was trying to destroy his corn. And so in the heat of his anger, he picked up a stick and he started going after the mouse. He went after that mouse. He slashed that mouse. He beat that mouse. He chased that mouse. He sweated over that mouse till finally he delivered that lethal blow. And the mouse was dead. And he felt this deep sense of satisfaction until the time that he looked around and realized that he had destroyed about an acre of corn 
trying to kill this little mouse. If we don't think, if we overreact, sometimes the solution can be more deadly than the problem. So instead of ignoring or resenting or overreacting to the problem, we see here that the apostles, they faced the problem. They faced it with determination to solve the problem in a way that would benefit everybody. Every problem, I think, that comes up in the midst of a church family, I believe, gives us an opportunity. An opportunity to do one of three things. It either gives us an opportunity to examine how effective our ministry is. It gives us the opportunity to exercise faith in the Lord and in one another. But it also gives us the opportunity to express love in a way that will really and truly work out the problem. So, so important to handle growing pains with determination because they're not a problem. They're really an opportunity. But handling growing pains also requires delegation. Take a look at in verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Prochorus and Philip and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Now, the, the apostles had already declared it's not desirable that we should leave the word and drive the church van. Did I say that? Did I say that? Maybe it's correctly said. It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. But now they say we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now friends, it would be so easy to read into this as though the apostles were saying, Hey, we're too good to drive the church van. We're too good to serve tables. After all, we're apostles. Let us choose seven flunkies who might be able to do this work and that way we can devote ourselves to the superior work of preaching and praying. If you read that passage that way, you're missing the whole meaning of the Scripture. The apostles are absolutely convinced that their primary calling was to proclaim the Word of God and to be faithful prayers. So instead of complaining, they delegate responsibility. There in verse 3. Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. There's no hint there that the apostles somehow thought that they, that they would be inferior by doing those works. There's no hint that the apostles thought that it was beneath their dignity to drive the church van or to serve tables. There's no hint there that they thought that they were holier than thou and had no business doing such things. It's entirely a question of what they were called to do. I was reminded as I was reading this scripture of an Old Testament incident that I recently taught to the Iwana children. It seems that Moses was snowed under with work, covered up, do you hear me? Covered up, and he was trying to do it all himself. 
And then his father-in-law comes to him and he says, Look, Moses, what you're doing is not good. What you're doing is not good. You are going to wear yourself out. The work is too much just for you. He said, you are not able to perform it all by yourself. He said, the strain's going to kill you. Therefore, I advise you to select some men who will help you. Select some folks that will help you out. Now, I want to confess to you this morning that as your pastor, this is probably my biggest downfall. Delegation. For some silly reason, rather than, start, rather than ask one of you to start a ministry, rather than ask one of you to take care of a, an important task, rather than ask one of you to serve in some way, you know what I do? I go do it myself. You may say, well, you know what? That's what you paid for. You should do it. And you may be right. But regardless of whether that's true or not, the Lord's given me the conclusion that every time that I go and I do something myself, every time that I go do something all by myself, you know what I'm doing? I'm depriving somebody of a blessing. I am stealing a blessing from somebody else. And that ain't fair. So I'm asking you for your help this morning. I'm asking you for your help as we handle growing pains that require delegation. Wednesday night, so many of you truly, truly touched my heart. And you did it because you came up, you held my hand, you told me, Brother Bill, wherever you lead, I'll follow, as long as it's scriptural. Amen. You said, Brother Bill, I'm with you for the long haul. I'm with you. Let's go. So I'm asking you today to touch my heart again. I'm asking you that on the way out, if, get this, if you're not already serving, if you're not already teaching in some capacity, leading in some capacity, if you're not already serving in the church in some capacity, I'm asking you to ask me a question on the way out. I'm asking you to ask me, Brother Bill, where do you need me to serve? Where do you need me to serve in the church? And I'm not going to just spout off something. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to write your name down. And I'm going to begin to pray. And I'm going to ask you to begin to pray. And together, we're going to answer that question. And that way you can be plugged in to the ministry of serving other people. So handling growing pain certainly requires discernment. It requires um, determination. It requires delegation. All because handling growing pains produces great dividends. Verse 7. Then, say then. then. Say it again. Then. then the word of God spread. And the number of disciples. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. 
The first dividend, the first benefit, the first result of handling problems, growing pains correctly is that unity was restored in those people. They all had the same focus, all had the same purpose. They had the same goal. And everybody's gift was being used. How many of you know that you have a gift because of what Jesus did for you? Raise your hand. Everyone has a gift. Everyone. So as the church grows, it's not time to, to kind of get lost in the crowd. It's really time to get involved in the ministry. Because that's what we're here for. To minister to those out there as well as we do in here. People who study church growth will be the first to tell you. They'll be the first to tell you that to have a truly healthy church, 60%, say 60%. 60% of the church family must be involved in the ministries of the church to be truly healthy. I don't think that that number 60 is that big of a number. Is it you? Just, just 60% to be healthy? But that's what they say. Just 60%. So if the widows are being neglected, then guess what? It's time to serve tables. If Sunday school needs more teachers, then guess what? It's time to step up. If cross-training, discipleship training is something that's necessary for the church family, then guess what? It's time to get to it. We've got to be careful not to complain, but we also got to be careful to make sure we step up and do what God's called us to do. Fred Craddock. He helps us to understand what it's like to really serve Christ. He says, to give my life for Christ, it appears very glorious. Very glorious to, to serve Christ. Just think, pouring my life into the life of somebody else. That's pretty glorious, isn't it? He says, uh, just think, paying the ultimate price of giving yourself for somebody else. It's pretty glorious. He says, you know, it's pretty glorious to just go out in a blaze of glory. You see, we think we're giving our all to the Lord when we take a $1,000 bill and we lay it on the table and we say, there you are, Lord. I'm giving it all to you. I'm giving it all to you. Here's my life, Lord. I'm yours. Do with me what you will. But Fred says, in reality, for most of us, serving Christ is more like taking that $1,000 bill, going to the bank, and cashing it in for quarters. And then going through your life and putting a quarter into that person's life, 50 cents there, quarter there, quarter there, 50 cents there. Listening to a, a kid's troubles and telling, instead of telling him, get lost. Amen. Giving a cup of water to a, an elderly man while you're visiting a nursing home. Sharing with a lost person what Jesus Christ has done for them. Stepping up. 
How many even an assistant in Sunday school? Saying, yes, Lord. I don't know what I'm in for, but this cross training, teaching kids how to apply the Word of God, I'll do it. As long as you're with me, I'll do it. See, usually giving our life to Jesus is not all that glorious. It's done in those little acts of love, one quarter at a time. It'd be easy to go out in a thunderous flash of glory. But it's a lot harder to live life one quarter at a time. Verse 7 says, then. Say then. What does that mean, then? Well, when their their growing pains were being handled with discernment, with determination, and with delegation, then... They experienced a sense of unity. Then everybody got involved in the ministry. You see, we think that that coming to to church to worship or coming to Sunday school class fulfills our obligation to God. But how many of you know that that's really just the beginning? Because the problem is that as a Christian, if you're not doing anything for anybody else, If you're not teaching someone else what you've learned, if you're not teaching someone else how to come to Jesus, if you're not helping someone else in some ministry affair, then you're only kidding yourself. Because that's not really what a Christian does. Then the Word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. There's two words and I'll close. That word spread and that number multiplied. Those two words indicate that the spreading of the gospel and the growing of the church was a continuous activity. It never stopped. They kept on spreading the good news and they kept on working, growing the church. It was continuous. So it's not something that we give up on. And I believe that that's probably the greatest thing I learned in revival this week. The greatest thing I learned was that that revival really is realized long after the services are done. So are you still praying that revival will occur in your life, in the life of our church, and in the life of our community? Then I want to ask you to pray like this. Lord Let it begin in me. If you'll start it, if you'll start praying revival for yourself, then guess what? Everybody else around you is going to be experiencing it too. So let me ask you this, friend. Would you like to become one of these disciples that was multiplied greatly? A disciple of Jesus Christ, would you like to be saved from the penalty of all your sins? The ones in the past, the ones you committed today, the ones you're going to commit tomorrow. Would you like to be saved from those and have this hope of going to heaven to spend time with God forever? Would you like that? The Word of God makes it clear. I got good news for you, friend. Good news. And that good news is that Christ died on a cross like that for our sins. They buried him in a grave. Three days later, he rose from the grave. 
So if you can believe that, if you're willing to turn from your sins, then Jesus promises that He will save you, but also that He will help you to live for Him. He don't just throw you to the dogs. He'll help you to live for Him. Maybe you'd like to get in on the ground floor or something great God's doing right here in our midst. Maybe you would like to, to become a part of the Bethel family. Well, we invite you. We invite you to become a part of this family where there is a place for you. There is a place for you here. And there is a place where you can make a difference. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for even desiring to include us in your work. Father, you are such a great and awesome God, so worthy of everything that we have. So Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that if there is one here who has never experienced the saving love that you offer through your son Jesus, Father, they would just step up, step out, take my hand. Let me show them what the word says briefly about how they too can be assured that they'll be in heaven when their days on earth are done. Father, I pray that if there is one here that would like to join the, the, the church family at Bethel, Father, and join what, what you're doing in our midst, Father, I pray that you just give them that still, soft whisper. Father, let them know that this is their home. This is their, where they belong. That there's a place for them here and a place where they can make a difference. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that, that even though we're growing, we're going to experience some growing pains, but it don't matter because you're with us. And you're going to be guiding us, giving us that determination and that discernment and that delegation that we need to produce the dividends that will come eternally. We want to say we love you. We love you, God. We praise you and love you, Jesus. And we thank you for what you've done this morning. Lord, so guide us, lead us. Lord, if there's any decision that needs to be made, whatever the reason, Father, I pray that you'd bring them this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's all stand. Sing, take my life, lead me, Lord. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Make my life useful to Thee. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Take my life, lead me, Lord. Make my life useful to Thee. Take my life, teach me, Lord. Take my life, teach me, Lord. Make my life useful to Thee. Take my life, teach me, Lord. Take my life, teach me, Lord. Make my life useful to Thee. Here am I, send me, Lord. Here am I, send me, Lord, make my life useful to Thee. Here am I, send me, Lord, here am I, send me, Lord, make my life useful to Thee.
for a divine healing touch for her. Father, that you would bless the surgeons, that you would bless the nurses and the technicians, bless the facility, Father, as they, as they work on our sister, Father. I pray that you would just bless her with a complete recovery. Lord, looking forward to testimonies of your grace and your power, Father, as you bring healing to her body. Lord, asking you in Jesus' name, Father, to use this for your glory. Father, to bring them, to bring Courtney and Sheila closer than they've ever been before. Father, to bring the family closer than they've ever been before. Even through something that seems like a problem, but really, in your eyes, it's just an opportunity. And Father, we praise you for that. And we ask you now, in the name of Jesus, to do a great work of grace and a great work of healing in her life. Father, just asking you by faith this morning. pray for travel mercies for them. Lord, asking that you watch over every mile they travel. Father, that and all their ins and outs. Father, they would, they would feel your presence. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that great and mighty things are coming their way, Lord, as they have demonstrated their love for one another, their love for your church family, and their love for you. And now, Lord, I pray that they experience your love for them in a mighty way. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We're looking forward again to hearing the wonderful stories you have in store for them. Bless us now in the name of Jesus.